Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello. Mother. Hello. There's a lot of cracking and banging going on. <laughs> there, there's cracking, really? Well, it was when you picked it up. It's not cracking. Crackling. Not cracking now, though, right? No, it's not. No. Okay, good. Yeah, no, I was, just, I was just setting things up. I'm just testing the microphone. I'm, I'm here in Texas, and I'm setting up the microphone for, uh, for the show today. Because I'm going to be interviewing... Oh, good. I'm going to be interviewing Brad Garrett. Oh, that's cool. From Everybody Loves Raymond. Good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So let me ask you this. Do you think I, how do you think I did on uh, Joe Rogan's podcast this week? I think you did very well for two thirds of it. And then maybe a third, you might have uh, cut back on the shot, but that was okay. <laughs> so you think, you think, but it, was it funny when I drank the whiskey? Yeah. I mean, you didn't, you didn't say anything bad or anything. It was just. You know, took you a little bit longer to think of an answer to any question that you might have been given. Yeah, yeah, because I know <laughs> I don't. You know, I, process I, and I don't normally drink that much on Joe Rogan's amazing podcast. We did drink some whiskey the last time, but I don't know, just because right. I'm on the road and I've been traveling. Was the first time you'd seen anybody. Yeah, I haven't seen anyone for a while, and you yeah. know, Joe's my friend, and he had some good whiskey, and next thing you know, uh, you know, the conversation started flowing a little more uh, uh, freely, freely, or unfreely. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, did I didn't say anything dumb, did I? No, 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 you, no. You and Dad we watched didn't. the whole thing, right? We watched the whole thing. Yes. Uh, how long was we it? Did. Five hours. Uh, close to. Yeah. I didn't exactly, you know, but because, pretty close to. Because four I, hours and something. Yeah, four hours and something. Because I figured, you know, the first part of the interview, Joe talked to me about the van and all the traveling I'm doing, and that was awesome. And then, then I talked yeah. to him a bit about what he's been doing with his move to Austin. And then I just kind of thought, hey, you know, we should have a drink because we sometimes will have a drink of whiskey. But uh, man, I, it was it was ended and ended up. It went downhill from there. <laughs> did, <laughs> that's that's what I'm asking. Did it or no? No, no. I'm just teasing you, Tom. So it was fun, right? I'm just, yeah, it looks like you were having a fun time. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I got to admit, like the end of the show got a little foggy to me. <laughs> like when I, I keep hearing about things that I did on the show that I sort of didn't remember until I was reminded. Sort of, kind of remember. Well, like I well, guess I, did I, did I do push-ups at the end or? Yeah, yes, you did push-up. Yeah, so I kind of remember doing that, but. Anyways, it was a good time. I'm getting a lot of great feedback about it, and everybody, of course, loves. Oh, everybody loves the Joe Rogan podcast and. No kidding. This was a real experience, the Joe Rogan experience. I experienced it uh, 
uh, right. in many ways this time. But uh, it was great. Good. Well, thanks for listening, and thanks for helping me do my audio check. No problem. So now, gra- what is your podcast called? Tom Green. You don't know what your what? son's podcast is called? <laughs> well, is it... Ex- uh, no, I don't, actually. You don't I mean, know. You don't know what my podcast is called? <laughs> Tom, I'm old. I can't remember all the all the things that I apparently should. Well, it's sort of got a new um, name. It's got a new name too. It's called the Tom Green Interview. I, I also oh, interview. Yeah, interview, I was I was it. doing the Tom Green podcast, but now I also yeah. have have this one, which is more of an interview based show. Right, right. It's called okay. the Tom Green Interview. Yeah. Right. I'm well, to- that's cool. I'm Tom Green, and I interview people, and that's that's why we called it that. Yeah. Okay, good. And, and it's with, with this great company, Audio Up, that's kind of supporting uh, the vision and uh, keeping keeping the trains running on time. Oh, well, that's good. We always like to have trains on time. Yeah, absolutely. And we're traveling, and <laughs> we're, we're doing it. I know. That was really neat, your... Um, um, Instagram on Barstow. That was cool. Oh yeah, I was. I went to a ghost town Not yesterday quite. on Instagram yeah. and streamed live from there. Wait till you see the video that I shot. I got an incredible video out there that I'm editing after my interview today with uh, with uh, Brad Garrett. Oh, cool. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for calling, Mom. I'll, I'll check in with you in a bit. Okay. I'm just going to continue uh, testing out everything here, making sure everything's working. Okay. Okay, watch out for Havelinas. Yes. <laughs> yes, I will. Okay. okay. All right, say hi to Dad. Bye-bye. Thank you. Talk soon. Bye. I will. Bye-bye. That was Mary Jane Green, and I am somewhere in Texas in my van, converted into a recording studio, and recording another episode of the Tom Green Podcast. And uh, we're going to be talking to Brad Garrett today. This is going to be great. I hope you're following along on uh, social media, on YouTube. The videos that I'm shooting are getting more and more complex. Uh, I'm really working on the color and the, the, the shots and the editing and the, the, the whole vision of it, the whole tone of it, even composing the music for it. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. So... Uh, go look at some of those films that I'm making. I call them short films on youtube.com slash Tom Green. And tell your friends to subscribe to this podcast, The Tom Green Interview. Now, let's talk to the legendary and the incredible Brad Garrett. You know Brad from uh, stand-up comedy, of course, from Everybody Loves Raymond. Uh, hello. And uh, he also has an amazing comedy club. In Las Vegas. Tom! Hey, Brad, how are you? Nice to talk to you. Thanks for calling. I'm good. <laughs> oh, it's my pleasure. It's great to talk to you. How you doing? I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing real good. Uh, believe it or not, I'm living in my van, uh, not down by the river, but I've, I've, uh, uh, this is by choice. I've been traveling around the country, and I've built this uh, studio in a van, and I'm just kind of doing it to get out and... You know, do something right now during this crazy year. So uh, I'm in. Uh, I love that. Yeah, I'm I in, love. I want to ride shotgun. Do you have room for a, a giant Jew to ride <laughs> shotgun? Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, you're you're, you're a pretty tall guy. I'm not sure. You might not actually fit in this thing. But no, I, I, uh, you know, it's cool. I'm 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 six four. You're six eight, right? 
Right, right. Yeah. yeah you're, so I'm 6'4", and I can sort of sleep in the bed on sort of a diagonal uh, <laughs> thing. It's it's interesting, but I've been going to all these national parks and uh, uh, to uh, all sorts of interesting uh, ruins. And yesterday I went to a ghost town in Texas, so it's it's been pretty cool. And I'm traveling with my dog, Charlie. So. Nice. Yes. Nice. What kind of van? It's a it's a Ram Promaster, uh, uh, which has been converted. So it's sort of like looks like a I look like I'm in a FedEx delivery truck, basically. But if you, you it's got a, it's, <laughs> it's got a little kitchen in it. How, and, how uh, long have you been doing this? Uh, just about six weeks now. I've been on the road, and uh, I just got the van. It's it's fun. I, I live in Los Angeles, so I, I still I still have a home right. and stuff. I'm not I'm not permanently in the van, but I'm doing some filmmaking and things. But uh, I, I really you know I appreciate you you calling. Um, it's uh, oh, it's sure, uh, sure. Ex- exciting to talk Thank to you. you. Uh, the first you know I uh, I, uh, I, uh, I I spoke to your uh, your partner uh, Ray Romano as well on uh, one of our first episodes of this podcast as well. So that was pretty cool. And we talked a lot right. about about uh, everybody loves Raymond and and uh, but now right. how how are you uh, how are you doing with with the stand up club now? Is the club in Vegas open uh, with all that's going you on? Know, we- it's, it's, it's a crazy, Tom. They finally let us open three weeks ago, but because of all the COVID protocols and everything, um, the stage has to be 25 feet from the first row. And when we did that at the original club, we, we, you know, we had room for 15 people. So they decided to, to move us temporarily to this giant ballroom upstairs in the hotel that seats like 550 and we could put 145 people in there. So that was like doing an empty corporate, you know, but it was getting people working again. We were open for three weeks, weekends only. And uh, they closed it all down again last night, all the shows all over again because of the numbers. The numbers are just insane. So you're probably safest in a van than anywhere. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of the, the, the where the idea came from. But, uh, you know, I could you have ever imagined not just a pandemic, but just the, the concept of stand-up comedy stopping uh, across the country, across yeah. the world? It, yeah, it's you know people have wanted me to stop stand up for years, <laughs> and um, so this, I, I I feel it's a conspiracy, Tom. This is what it is to get me to stop with my you know I have kind of a hacky act. I'm not known for my material, but like a lot of my stuff is all off the audience. You know that's you know I that's how I really do like most of my act, and it's so funny. And I walked out the other night, you know, and. Uh, 25 feet away and I'm, I'm, I'm still going like a ah, great shirt. You know, no one can even see what I'm talking about. Um, so did, did it, it feel real adjustment. It must've felt good though, just to get the club open again and then just have some activity there. Cause it, Vegas it was, has it, been hit real hard, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It, it was great to open it all. It's, it's, it's been hitting incredibly hard. I mean, that's, that's pretty much a state that, that feeds off. Uh, the strip and um, you know you see these food lines I mean in Vegas they're, they literally run out of food daily uh, for the people that are really really up against it and it's you know it's a scary time you know I have a 20 uh, I have a 20 year old a 22 year old and you know they're in the middle of school of college and everything's online and they 
you know, there, there's there's really no social life, and and it's another level of fear for the younger people, and it, it's just an odd, odd, odd time. You know, you wish that there was more uh, help. You know, from our our our, our government, we we we've, we've just done so horribly in, in attacking this this pandemic. But you know what? It looks like April things won't come back probably until the late spring, early summer, unfortunately, where I think people feel safe again if they take the fucking vaccine. You know, who knows? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's so strange, you know, at a time when laughter is needed most and then the, and the comedy clubs are all closed down. But, uh, you know, that says you, you, you have a long history with Vegas, though, was you, sure. you, you sort of started out uh, performing in Vegas and doing shows with legends like Frank Sinatra and was, was, was what is it about Vegas that has always been so incredible for show business? You know, it's, it's, it started, uh, you know, as, I, I mean, it, it's interesting because I, you know, I wasn't there in the heyday, obviously I started in 86 when I started opening for different acts at the desert Inn, and yeah. but even going back, you know, 30 some years, it, it was so different then, but I, it, it was just the place that where you knew the crowds were going to be great. They were coming for a good time. They were coming for the experience that we're going to see performers like, you know, they've never seen. And um, it, it, it was more like of a happening. I mean, even when in the 80s, someone would go to a, you know, they'd go to a dinner show and they'd, they'd have a jacket on and they'd get all dude it up, you know, and it was like, that was, it was about it. It was more of an event for everyday people that don't get to, you know, put on a, a, a tuxedo and go to a show or, or, or have an extravagant dinner while watching, you know, Sammy Davis or, or people they'd only known from TV. So it always had that incredible reputation. That's and over the years, that's, a, yeah, over the years, it's become, you know, you got guys in the front row with, flip-flops and shorts and it just it just a different time <laughs> yeah but, but what was yeah what was really cool to see even just the three weekends we were open and just sitting down and talking to the other comics you know it was how incredibly appreciative the audiences were these last couple of weeks it's like you know i was like oh the room is too big the ceiling's 80 feet it, it's you know i had every reason of like ah oh, this isn't like a club and then you get out there and people, you know, they're masked and, you know, they're six feet apart and 25 feet. Apart. But there was an appreciation that anyone was coming out um, uh, because you could see they were just, you know, so hungry for any kind of live entertainment. So that was an interesting thing for us to witness as well. Yeah. But, you know, there's no town like it. You performed in Vegas and it's, you know, it's. um it, you know, yeah, I, I mean, at the club, we, you know, people come from literally all over the world. It used to be a long time. They come from all over the country. But before the pandemic, you know, you had people from literally all different countries. And it just makes for some of the best comedy audiences. Yeah, it's always interesting when you do crowd work. And, you know, the guy in the front row is you know, one guy's from Sweden and someone else is from, you know, Albuquerque. And uh, and uh, exactly. Yeah. And you can you can really kind of, I think, have a lot of fun with the, the crowds there just because of the, the broad nature of different people yeah. that are there. So now you, you you won Star Search when you were a, a kid, right? That's that's was this is, right. Th this is I'm sure this is one of the stories you've told a million times, but uh, right. that must have just been, uh, you know, 
was it was it was it immediate that you knew you wanted to be a comedian before you went on Star Search or when you were a kid or Oh yeah, it was yeah, I started really really early doing the open mic nights, you know, when I was like 18. Yeah. Um I, I grew up out here in Southern Cal uh in you know, in the valley and I would I would just get up at any open mic nights and you know, I looked 30 so I was able to get into most of the clubs and you know, I just did a lot of, you know, open mic stuff and uh um I, I just knew it was something that was really always in me. And, and, you know, in the beginning it was, you know, mostly very, you know, pedestrian type of stuff. It was, you know, I would do my impressions or bullshit like that. And, and then it just, you know, morphed into, um, you know, an angry middle-aged privileged guy, you know, <laughs> which I don't know if there's any need for that, but, <laughs> but yeah, star search was really the beginning. It was the first year on star search. So, you, you know, it, it, it got a lot of eyes on it and, and to be honest, I was kind of the dark horse because I was going up against guys that really, you know, were a lot more seasoned and I was kind of like the new guy. But, you know, they only gave you 90 seconds on um, on Star Search and it was you know, really never a great barometer for anyone's talent because your, your opening bit is technically your closing bit, you know? Yeah. I mean, there were some great people on, on Star Search, like, you know, going back to, I mean, from Ray to, to you know, Dennis Miller to to a lot of guys, you know, certainly should have won uh, taking it all. But, you know, you just never know. So I got lucky and I just kept advancing. And it was, uh, you know, I was 24 at the time and it was it was a huge deal, you know, back in the day when there were very few channels even. Yeah. You know? And Ed, Ed McMahon was hosting Star Search, of course, right? Yes. So yes is, that, sure is that sort of what led to you going on Johnny Carson as well on The Tonight Show? Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. He was very, very helpful. I still had to uh, audition for Jim McCauley but, uh, a couple times, but um, uh, Ed was able to, you know, set up that audition at least where I never would have gotten to be seen by, by, by uh, Jim. And uh, it was, you know, it was exciting, you know, to do one with, uh, you know, with with the man. I mean, yeah, you, you were know, one you of the youngest, one of the youngest comics ever to perform on stand up on the Tonight Show. Yeah, I was, I, I was, I wasn't the youngest. I was one of the youngest. I think Byron Allen and uh, I think Freddie Prince were were definitely younger than I was. But I was on, uh, I was almost like twenty four, almost my twenty fourth birthday. Uh, just about a, a month away from it, and it was uh, it was okay. It was an okay set, you know. It didn't didn't knock the doors off. I didn't uh, I didn't sit down my first time, but um, it was uh, it, it was really cool, very surreal. You know, I was scared to death. And, yeah, um, yeah. Like so, yeah, so that just, that was the famous thing that Carson with if he uh, he brought you over to the couch after and uh, so but yes. that, but uh, you know listen just be you, you, did did was there a moment where you were thinking oh he's going to bring me over to the couch or, or did, is that, did that go through your mind or are you just kind of trying to get through uh, well, it or I kept staring at him he kept staring at me I kept <laughs> staring at him yeah you know and then uh, someone drew the curtain uh-huh. so it was like it was, it was, a, it was an ugly standoff well wow but what what yeah. an incredible thing, though. I mean, they just just to have been able to go on Johnny Carson uh, on the Tonight Show oh, at sure. that at that age too. I mean, it just must have been yeah. surreal. It, it was. I'm you know as I you know I just hit sixty and I, I look back at all of it, Tom, and I'm like, uh, you know, I've I've been very lucky. I've worked I've worked hard, but a lot of people work hard and work harder, and you know they don't get the breaks and they have 
incredible talent. And it's, you know, I'm very, very grateful. I think it was a lot easier, you know, breaking in a uh, stand-up in, in the 70s and 80s uh, than, it, than it is today. And you would think today would be easier because there's a thousand more outlets. Yeah. But I think everything gets muddied in all those outlets. You know, back in the day when you when you had a great act, you, you were going to be seen. It just mattered if it was on Merv Griffin or Mike Douglas or Carson or, or uh, you know, whatever. Um, there was going to be a way you were going to get seen. Now, you know, there's so many talented people that's just finding a, you know, everyone's putting themselves on YouTube, but it's it's something got to break on YouTube, you know? Yeah, it's and kind if of... You, if you kill... Yeah. Kind of a double-edged thing in a way. It's just an opportunity for so many yeah. people, but then... Yeah, back back in the day, you had to really, really want to do the to do comedy. To, to, to you, you know, you couldn't just pick out yeah. your phone and start sort of you know ranting about uh, something you saw on Twitter. You actually yeah. had to get up, go to the club, yeah. get the stage time. Is 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 that you think what the biggest change is with comedy now with social media, or is as 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 the art art form itself changed much as well? Well, I think I think it, it's changed as far as, you know, there are people that, you know, you'll talk about like TikTok or Twitter or they'll film themselves having a rant. And, you know, because TV has become, uh, I mean, I think TV, stuff on television, I think the product most in many markets are better than ever. That being said, they believe so much of it is driven by social media which I don't agree with because when I see the best shows, you know, I don't find them on, on uh, Instagram or Twitter or anything, at least not shows that really ring to me, or at least not shows that'll, that'll get nominated for an Emmy or something. I find out through peers or friends or other people, but what they'll do, you know, especially the production or the development companies, they'll find someone with 6 million views that has never worked on his craft. That's, really not an actor, really not a stand-up, and they'll say, hey, you know what, we'll give them a pilot, and we'll see if we can get any of those 6 million viewers. And that has crashed just about every time, except for about maybe a couple instances, because, you know, they put a person on a stage uh, with a crew, and, you know, they're not in their bathroom on their phone. And I think that they're seeing that more and more, that, you know, because it's a business that, you know, loves to whore out, and try to grab as many eyes as they can. And many times they'll do it with people that, you know, don't know their craft that really haven't, you know, it doesn't have legs. It's just, it's a video that went viral. Yeah. You know, the Kardashian, you know, the Kardashian, uh, uh, synopsis as I, I, I always call it, there's only going to be one or two families like that, you know, yeah. uh, that, that, that become billionaires off a show. That's really about nothing that really is scripted. And it makes you say, well, and it's huge and it's number one. So it makes you go, okay, well, maybe we can pull off, you know, three sisters, uh, you know, and they've tried it many, many ways. And many, uh, you know, reality is gigantic in TV, obviously. It's the biggest moneymaker, hands down, reality television. So I think it tells a a lot of people they can get a shot, 
by doing a video, but we know that it's it's harder than that. Yeah, it's interesting to imagine, you know, what what would people like back in the day have thought of what's going on today with television and how people are found? I mean, it used to be you you'd go do stand up at the comedy store in Hollywood or the improv and, you know, yeah. maybe Johnny Carson's talent scout was in the audience and uh, that was how yeah. you got discovered, exactly. right? And, 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 exactly. You know, it's funny when I when I started out, and um, uh, you, you know, I had my my first manager at the time, who, who was really really a brilliant woman, and and she was a low rent you know manager, and I was uh, I was a below rent new stand up. I met her when I was eighteen, and um, uh, you know, I always felt that that. Uh, you know, I loved stand up, but when I started acting, I thought that, well, maybe my chops are a little better in acting. I don't know. So I studied and then, and then, I, you know, there's nothing like live stand up, as you know, there's just nothing like it. it's the greatest, the greatest rush, at least for me. But yeah. as I was starting out, this manager knew, cause we were based in, you know, the heart of Hollywood. And she says, you know, you don't want to go to the improv. You don't want to go to the comedy store. And I'm like, why? She goes, well, you're 11 feet tall, and when you die, and you will, you are, are, are you know, uh, memorable. <laughs> so she literally said, take your, because I was waitering at TGI Fridays for a few years as I was doing my open mic nights. Right. And she says, you know, take your waitering money, uh, go to El Paso, go to the Ice House in Pasadena, which is really where I started. Yeah. Go to Newport Beach at the last stop. And she says, stay out of the improv and um, and the comedy store, because, you know, as you know, every night it was half industry. Right. And, you know, so you went and worked it out, figured it out, out in the, yeah. the, the at the ice house. And then uh, when you were ready, you, you yeah. went in and, and hit 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 the store. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's it. Wow. Yeah. Well, so I, I'm, I'm assuming that, you know, uh, Stand-up, of course, must really help in performing in front of a live studio audience on a sitcom on Everybody Loves Raymond. That must have really they translated well. I mean, they, they don't. They, they, I mean, it did obviously. But uh, did did you do you find? I've never. I've actually never performed on a sitcom in front of an audience like that, where you're performing and acting in front of an yeah. audience. Do you really feel the the energy of that crowd, and do you connect with the crowd in that studio? You, you know, I, I think you do if you come from stand-up. You know, it was, it was you know, Ray and I came from stand-up, obviously, before Raymond, and Peter was from film, and Doris was from everything, and Patty, you know, just came from another series. So we all brought, and we all felt it differently. You know, the key for me was um, uh, uh, go off the audience for your timing, but as a stand-up, don't play to them. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I think that's the biggest challenge for a stand up that gets a multi camera series is you have to be like, okay, they're there. Your timing will be great. Uh But remember, your timing just can't go off the audience because you're talking to someone at the same time. Right. 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 Yeah. If a joke. Yeah. It's like if if, if a one liner you're doing on stage tanks, uh, you can't approach it the way you do if you're doing your act. Because you're going to get your next cue off your acting partner right in front of you. So it's really a kind of a zig and a zag. But Ray and I love the stand-up. Uh, I, I mean, love the live audience. And, and, of course, Ray would go out every night before we filmed 
and he would do a couple minutes. And, you know, so few actors can do that in the sitcom if they're not stand-up people. Um, so Ray just got him right where we needed him. And then, you know, it, it just it just flowed so much easier. Yeah. But um, that's why you'll see sitcoms, you know, you'll get some great comedic actors that, you know, uh, multi-camera just isn't there just isn't their thing. But, you know, as Phil Rosenthal always said, he's the one that, that created the show with Ray. And, and he, he was an amazing, he's an amazing showrunner. And he said, you know, in multi-camera, you just need to look at it like a play. And, and when it works, it really, it really is. It, it should feel like a play. It should be written like a play. Um, and um, I think that was always their, their intent as well. What was the moment when you realized the show was a massive hit? What did that feel like? Not, not before in the beginning when you weren't sure and, but, or, or later sure. when you know, it had been hit for a while. But just that moment when you realized, whoa, this is a massive hit. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's when you go outside or go to the market or that first time that, you know, um, and now my career is at people think I'm Kramer when I go play. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I know the career is over. It's like, now it's like they've forgotten Ray, but a lot of people actually yell Kramer when Uh, I go into an airport or something, which, which is hysterical. uh I'm not doing a bit though. it, It should be, but, but, uh, I think there's a creative time, you know, when it's, successful that doesn't always um compute to your your numbers but we knew we knew near the end of the first season that uh, creatively we were really firing on all cylinders i i mean it really it you know they throw you together you don't know each other and they go okay you're a family go you know yeah and it takes time but there was something about the uh i don't know what it was it's it's like without sounding sounding corny you know there's it's sometimes just lightning in a bottle. There's, there's just a magic to it, you know? And, and it's a lot of it is how the different styles of, of a Peter or, or Doris, you know, is the parents, you know, what is that chemistry going to be? Cause you never know, you know, everyone auditions separately. Will that chemistry, uh, compliment Ray and Patty? Is that going to be the dynamic the writers are going to want? So, so much of it is just, you know, creative luck. But but early year two, uh, you know, we really had an idea, you know, that the show, when they moved us, because we were on Friday nights, and we were getting killed um, uh, in the ratings. And then they moved us um, uh, Mondays after Cosby um, before the raping, you know. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, pre Yeah, you almost yeah. have to mention that now, right? You can't really just sort of. Yeah, well, well you, of course. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to think I had a. Yeah. And, and, and <laughs> it, just, it just took off. Yeah. You know, it just, yeah. so it just took off year two. And, uh, and, uh, but, you know, when people come up to you and they go, my God, you're like my brother or. Or, or, you know, Doris is just like my mom. She won't leave us the fuck alone. Uh-huh. You know, when, when people come up to you and talk about that as opposed to all oh, that episode where you did, when they talk about like that, they, they, they really relate to it on that personal level. I think that's when, you know, uh, you know, you're hitting the target. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the show was based off of Ray's real family, but were were you? Yeah. Are you anything uh, similar? Or a lot of similarities between you and Ray's uh, brothers? Well, you know, it's funny. I, I uh, growing up, I had two older brothers. I was the youngest of three, and um, 
I was by far always felt like the mutant. You know, they um, they had different. They had the same father. I had a different father growing up. Okay. Yeah. So they were they were regular sized humans. <laughs> you know, I was the only one that was like circus sized. Uh huh. Uh-huh. So you know, I was like a head older. I was like a head taller than my my oldest brother at like twelve. Yeah. You know, and he had like five years on me. Yeah. You know? And he was like, well, you, you know, so I always, I never, and you know, beyond the family thing, I, I was a guy who never really felt like I fit. I, I was never, you know, I was six feet at, at, at 12 and I couldn't make a layup and I wasn't a jock and I really wanted to be, you uh-huh. know, and I was horrible. And, you know, so I think I, I, I always felt like a less than type of pipe. So I think, I think we all have shades of Robert in us. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, it was the writing. It, it was, you know, when I read that pilot and they were not thinking of me at all. And uh, it took a while to even get into audition. Uh, I, I, I knew the guy. I mean, I, you know, I read the script and I, I, I told my manager at the time, I said, you know, I know this guy. And they were like, you know, you say that every time. I said, no, but I really, I really know this character. And, I, you know, I went in and, and uh, you know, the writing, when, it, when it's written like that, you just, you don't have to put much mustard on it. You know, it's just there. Yeah. So. Wow. That's amazing. And the rest is history, right? That's just incredible. I mean, the rest is history. And now I'm talking to a guy in a van. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, it's which I love. It's pretty beautiful out here. I don't know if you get out into the national parks much, but I've been going out to these. uh, I was just up in the Gila National Forest looking at these cliff dwellings from the um, Mogollon uh, Indians from 1280 they built these uh, and I make these videos I'm making these these uh, videos and films up uh, just as I'm traveling around looking at all I was in a ghost town yesterday in Barstow Texas and uh, ah, just killing some time out here Brad I, <laughs> I, I gotta tell you you know I envy you because I, I, I have too much fear to, to be doing that uh, um, which you, you probably already gathered but it sounds amazing <laughs> now if you had to suggest one national park, the closest to California or northern or, or central Cali, I, I mean, I grew up here. I haven't even been to Yosemite. Right, right. Isn't that sad? Yeah, you know, I was. I haven't. I, I, I haven't been to Yosemite yet either. I was. That was my plan was to go there, but the fires kind of uh, put that that. Uh, a, yes. a button on that yes. this year, so that's next year. We, where I'll go, and I want to go retrace the steps of Ansel Adams out there, and uh, you know, and uh, all of his beautiful oh, black and white photography. Big fan of his. Yeah, actually, I'm I'm a close. I'm a friend of uh, a friend of mine was his assistant in college. Oh wow, Ansel Adams, and uh, and he's a photographer today, but he shoots like you know, uh, high school yearbook pictures. So he he was never, but he was literally Ansel's assistant. Wow. And the stories are just remarkable. But I love photography, and I only really love black and white of any kind. And uh, so that's 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 exciting to go there. So oh, cool. If I had to get in the car, because I'm really, I'm pulling my hair out with everything. I got it. If I get in the car and I'm, okay, I'm going to drive a day. I think you I could. I want to be out in the woods. I mean, where you, would I go? Well, you, you, I mean, I mean, right now you could go up to, uh, uh, jot this down. This is a beautiful place. The Inyo okay. National Forest. I-N-Y-O. The Inyo National Forest. It's just south of Yosemite. That's a that's a beautiful place, um, and then there's also the you know Joshua Tree, which is desert but uh, but yeah. beautiful desert, and uh, yeah. also kind of uh, 
kind of trippy and uh, if peaceful. I go to Inyo, is is there anywhere Tom where I could see trees where I could? I'm not a desert guy. Yeah, they have that. That know, would be roulette. that would be Inyo. Yeah, that would be the, up there. You're just south of Yosemite and and maybe even actually into Yosemite and that sort of uh, you know Smokey the Bear kind of t- country. Yeah. Okay, now can you get a little place to stay? Do you have to camp? I'm I'm sure you can. I'm sure you can. I I you know I I I, 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 I there must be some places you can probably you probably get an Airbnb out there now. You know, out at Big Bear or something like that. Beautiful, <laughs> and it isn't where the fires were, so it won't be messed up, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I think they've kind of. Uh, I think Inyo got kind of spared. Yeah, I'm not. Ex- I'm not 100 okay, sure to be honest with you. But you don't know. You don't know many Jews, do you? Do you? Uh, I, I, Except I, for Warren. Uh, you know, I, I know. I know a fair amount. You know, <laughs> my good well, friend Rory. Good, my no. good friend Rory Rosegarden, who uh, is a manager. Here's the good and, thing about Rory. Yeah. N- knowing Rory, you might as well know 40 Jews. Yeah. <laughs> Does that make sense? Because yeah. he's Jewish squared. Okay. That's what I love about Rory. Okay. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll... I'll uh, give, give him my best, too. I will, I, for I, sure. Uh, I, I really, really like that man. He's a, such a quality guy, and it was great getting to know him. Yeah. No, it's great. I'm, I I'm, uh, I was really happy that uh, that you were able to do this, and I'm so glad that he set this up. Thank so, you Bra- for asking me. Yeah, Brad, Thank thanks you. so much, and, uh, you know, best of luck with the comedy okay. club, and, and uh, thanks for calling in and and, and uh, when stand-up gets going again I, I hope i can come down to vegas and come do a spot and hang out with you at the oh, club god would i be honored oh, uh, we would be honored to have you there tom you have an open invitation oh wow well i'll, I'll be there for sure i, I love it thank you thank Anytime. you so much brad yeah we'll put you up in a we'll put you up in a nice room no vans nice nice <laughs> perfect <laughs> awesome all right i would well, love it sincerely thank you and brad I thank you for the time thank you brad i appreciate it. okay ha- have, have a great day and we'll we'll see you soon Okay, be safe. Bye-bye. How cool is that? Brad Garrett. Thanks, Brad, for calling, and thanks, everybody, for listening. I feel so lucky and honored to be able to talk to the amazing and incredible people that I have grown up loving and respecting. Uh, Brad, uh, of course, uh, has been entertaining all of us for so many years, and it's just a real pleasure to have had him call into my van. And, uh, man, it's it's. i got to tell you, I'm in the middle of Texas right now. I was in a ghost town uh, yesterday in Barstow, Texas. I'm right now going to edit that video and upload it to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Tom Green. I want you guys to subscribe here to the, to, to the Tom Green interview podcast and then watch the visuals on Instagram and on YouTube uh, because I think they all go together. The podcast goes together with the visuals. They, I, I, I like to think that I'm creating something here for all of us to enjoy. That is kind of a fun little journey that we get to go on together. And uh, I'm really thinking about all of you every day when I'm traveling with Charlie and my cameras, my drone, and getting these these shots and this footage, and and of course recording these podcasts right here in the van. So I'm actually going to open up the van door now. Charlie's been sitting here reasonably quietly. Let me just uh, make sure that the alarm doesn't go off. And uh, 
Getting a little cold out, actually, heading a little bit further north. Uh, but it's a getting a little bit cold out. And uh, we're not in the most remote of areas right now. We're pretty close to a road. Probably hear some cars going by. But we are, you know, essentially uh, in a nice farm farming area here. And um, it's quite beautiful. So, but I'm heading off into much more remote, much more deep, uh, deep, deep unknown places uh, tomorrow, actually. I just wanted to pull over here and, uh, and do the podcast here because I have cell service, you see, and that's how, how uh, Brad was able to call in and my mom was able to call in on the cellular telephone. But a lot of the places that I've been going, there's been no cell service and it's been really quite, uh, quite incredible. Uh, some of the things that I've gotten to see and, and do. So thanks for coming along on this ride with, uh, with me and Charlie, and uh, we'll see you next week on the Tom Green interview. Be safe, everyone. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find the ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.